Well, good morning and welcome to the sermon today. Thanks to Christine and Norbert for leading us in worship this morning. And today marks the conclusion of the series that we've been doing over the past couple of months, which has been Faith Over Fear. And we've looked at various different aspects of things that can cause fear to build up and things which we can sometimes struggle to, um, to maintain a faith which supersedes the fear. I really hope that the various sermons have been helpful, I hope they've been informative, and I hope that they've enabled and equipped you to face fears with a slightly different um, approach in future. But today, we're kind of summing up what it's all been about. We've looked at a lot of scriptures, we've looked at a lot of anecdotes, we've looked at a lot of different types of fear. And sometimes when we do series like these, it can all seem a bit much. We, we cover an awful lot in a very short space of time. And um, we can almost be left thinking, wow, I need to go back and, and recap. So today I just thought I'd start with a scripture from Paul's letter to the Romans, which just boils everything down and simplifies what it is that we're talking about. It takes the whole Christian faith and summarises it in one simple sentence. It comes from Romans chapter 13, verse 9. Paul writes, The commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandments there may be, are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbour as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbour. Therefore, love is the fulfilment of the law. So Paul boils down all the teachings, all the scriptures, all the instructions and commandments, everything into that one simple statement. Love one another. Now, of course, there are times in life when that's easy to do. Everything's going smoothly and everything's going our way. Things are good at work, at home. We've got good holidays lined up. The money's coming in. And we look around us and we think, do you know what? This is a time of green pastures. And we can read Psalm 23 and remind ourselves of the words of David, where he says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. I love that image. When I come out in places like this, I look around me and I see the green pastures and you're reminded of new life, you're reminded of nourishment, you're reminded of a vivid colour, openness, space. There's a sense of calm around. It's a joy to be in green pastures. And of course, That's a wonderful psalm. It reminds us of God's creation. It reminds us of God's love for us. David eventually takes us from the green pastures and moves us on to the still waters. And by the still waters, David speaks of how God restores our soul. Water flows slowly by in this stream and there's there's life and there's light and it's it's an inviting place to be. It restores one's soul. It makes you feel close to creation, close to God. You see, scenes like this, with the green pastures and the still waters, they make us pause. They make us forget all the worries in life. 
and they reduce us to a very simple state where there is us and God. That's great, but of course, that's not reality. And it would be wrong to say that if we, if we come to know God closely, then all our worries evaporate and, and we live a life in green pastures and still waters and we're, we're nourished and nurtured and we're restored. Because actually, we become a Christian and we still have to live life in the real world. The reality of a fallen world is still all around us. Maintaining faith over the fear of that reality is one of the biggest challenges that a Christian faces. It's a daily challenge and it's a daily fear that we must overcome through our faith. David knew that reality. He goes on in his psalm to say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and staff, they comfort me. David was well aware that, that the green pastures and the still waters are, are not the norm. They are not the, the normal day-to-day -day situation we find ourselves in. Indeed, we are more likely to find ourselves walking through the valley of the shadow of death. But David says, even in that reality, I won't be afraid because my faith is in God, that God is with me. And not, he's, not only is he with me, but he's protecting me and he's guiding me and he's looking out for me. Paul, going back to that letter to the Romans, he was also well aware of the reality of living with faith in a fallen world. Having just told us that love is the fulfilment of the law, he goes on saying, do this understanding the present time. In other words, Make sure that you understand your faith through the lens of the real world, the world around us, through the lens of, of the suffering and the loss and the tragedy and the sadness that so often surround us. He says, the hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. So in other words, Paul didn't know when Jesus was going to return. We don't know when Jesus is going to return. But what we do know is it's an obvious statement. Every day that we live is a day closer to the day when Jesus will return. And so every day we should wake from our slumber. We should be alert. We should living, be living an attitude of, of preparation for that time. He says the night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let's put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armour of light. It's an interesting phrase, isn't it? The armour of light. We talk about Jesus being the light of the world. We talk about coming out of the darkness into the light. And often when we think of the light, we're thinking of, of, of these sorts of pastures, these sorts of places, a nice, innocent, wonderful, unspoilt situation, a place where we can come close to God. But Paul talks about the armour of light. Again, he was well aware that, that we, need, we need to protect ourselves. When we put on the armour of light, we are preparing ourselves for attack. That's why, that's why a soldier wore armour. That's why we would wear armour today, to protect ourselves. And so Paul is preparing the Romans for the challenges that they will face. Now, when he wrote this letter to the Romans, he was writing to a church who were oppressed the, the, the early church in Rome, um, they lived in a culture where there were many, many, many different gods, different temples. In fact, the Romans were 
in many ways quite a good army to be um, to be invaded by because what they used to do once all the bloodshed and fighting was over and the initial occupation had taken place they would then say to the people that they'd just um, occupied look whatever gods you've got you're free to keep worshipping them just add Caesar to the list worship Caesar worship your gods it's fine but of course this was a problem for the early church because they were told have no other gods but me I am the Lord your God and therefore they couldn't add Caesar to a list there wasn't a list there is just one living God and so this was a church who were who were oppressed a church who were who were facing challenges and Paul writes to them and says look you've got to understand your faith in the reality of the day in which you live you've got to put on the armor of light and the way you do that is by showing love even to those that oppress you pray for your enemies love your neighbor live as Jesus would have you live so what does it mean what does it mean to live like that what does it mean to live a life that reflects our our Christian faith even when we're facing oppression or difficulties or tragedy well it means that we stand out from the crowd It means that we conduct ourselves in a way that that doesn't conform with the world around us and what the world expects, but instead it conforms with the teachings of Jesus. That's a difficult thing to do. It's a difficult way to live life. Paul, writing again to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, says, For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts, to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. What does that mean? Well, there's an awful lot of talk in the Bible about light and darkness. Often light is is from God. Light is the glory of God shining for us and shining on us. And darkness is the place that should be avoided. But the reality of life is that sometimes we have to go through dark places. We have to face a difficult reality and we have to overcome our fear with our faith by going through darkness with God on our side. God says, let light shine out of darkness. I don't know about you, but when I go into a dark place, I can't let light shine. I can't produce light. I don't have that ability. In the same way, when I go through a particularly difficult time in life, I'm just as subject to sorrow and sadness and misery and depression as I was before. Things don't change when you find God. It's not us that produces that light, that brings that hope. But what we can do is reflect the light of God. God made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ, says Paul. To give you an idea of what that means, I just want to share something briefly. A few years ago, one winter's night, it was a cold, dark night, and um, I was due to be going out that evening, and so I ran myself a hot bath in the afternoon. I love a hot bath, nice and deep and warming. On a winter's day, it's lovely. I was laying in this bath and it got dark outside. Joe and Timothy were out somewhere 
and I suddenly realised that the sky outside was actually pitch black and I hadn't put any lights on because it was daylight when I got in the bath. I was there for quite a long time. And I suddenly realised that although it was pitch black outside, there was light coming into the room. So I got myself out of the bath, got dressed, went downstairs, and I thought next door security light must have come on because there was this really bright light coming into all the rooms in the house. I opened our back door, went outside into the garden and looked for the source of this light. And it was only then that I was staggered to see that actually it was the moon that was shining so brightly that it was illuminating the house. But of course, the moon wasn't shining brightly, was it? The moon is just a lump of rock drifting around in space. The moon doesn't produce its own light. It can't. What the moon does, as it's floating around in the darkness of space, is it reflects the light of the sun. And when we look up into the night sky and say, wow, isn't the moon bright tonight? What we actually mean mean is, wow, compared to the darkness, look, the sun's light is reflecting off the moon. Indeed, when we look into the night sky and see darkness, actually we're seeing light. It's just that there's nothing to reflect it back to us to let us know it's there. But the moon stands out in the night sky because it reflects the light of the sun when all around it is darkness. In the same way, Paul is saying, God shines his light His light is all around us, just like the light of the sun is all around the night sky. He is like the sun and we're like the moon. We cannot shine our own light. We cannot produce our own light, but we can reflect the light of God. We can reflect his glory. And the way that we do that is by loving those that we see, regardless of who they are, regardless of how they treat us, we can find a way to make sure that we treat them with love. It doesn't mean that we're a walkover, it doesn't mean that we're soft, but it means that we carry ourselves in a way that reflects the love of Jesus in every situation that we encounter. It's easy to do that when we're out there in the green pastures and the still waters, but it's not so easy when we suddenly find ourselves hurtling towards a very dark place, when we're faced with somewhere that is dark, cold, uninviting. That's when, as David says, we go through the valley of the shadow of death. The fear can overcome us. The fear can stop us living in a way that that reflects the glory of God, the light of the world. And that's when we need to make sure that our faith overcomes our fear, that we don't let fear win and that whatever lies in front of us, we face it with our faith at the forefront of our minds. But of course, whenever we go through these times of challenge, difficulty, tragedy and chaos, there's a natural response, isn't there? 
And that's to question, where is God in all this? What is going on? Why has he just made me go through this, this dark, cold, uninviting place? Why have I had to suffer in the way that I've suffered? Why have I gone through the tragedy that I've gone through? These are sorts of questions which theology can give answers to, but in the midst of someone's suffering, they don't want to hear theology. They want to be reminded of the love and the grace and the presence of God. But of course, it's important to remember that the reason I've just had to go through a dark, cold, wet, dank tunnel is because up there, there is a hazard. When I go through that tunnel, I'd much rather just go straight over the top. If I was here with a child, the child would be saying, I don't want to go through that, that dark place. I don't want to have to, have to go through that. It's, it's frightening. It's, it's cold. It's wet. It's, it's not nice. Why can't I just go over the top in the sunshine where the birds are singing and where it all looks nice? But of course, up there, there are hazards that the child couldn't see. Not only is there the possibility of being hit by a train, but there's also electric cables, there's all sorts of trip hazards, and we don't know what else might be lurking on the train tracks. There is a hazard that cannot be seen from down here. And so we go through the darkness of the tunnel because we're being protected from what we can't see. You see, we have faith that God can see the bigger picture. He is in complete control. He has authority over everything. And so when we go through our dark places, when we go through that suffering, when the fear of the world around us and the reality of the fallen world begins to overcome our faith in God, that's when we need to stop and we need to remind ourselves that God is in control. Even though in the midst of our our difficult times, it might feel like we're, we've been hung out to dry, left on our own. That's not the case. That is never the case. The Bible says God will never leave us or forsake us. And in fact, it calls us to follow Jesus wherever he leads us. David knew that he would have to go through the valley of the shadow of death. He knew that when he was on the front line facing the Philistine armies, There'd be a risk to life, but he faced them because he had God with him. He knew when he faced Goliath, there was going to be a risk. Goliath was was massive. There was no way David could take him on. But David said to Saul, I'm not taking him on on my own. I'm taking him on with God. When Paul wrote to the Romans, he knew that when he, when he said, understand your faith in the reality of the world around you, he knew that they, they wouldn't be able to face the challenges around them unless God was on their side. And God was on their side. And it took 300 years, but eventually the entire Roman nation, the entire Roman culture became Christian when Constantine decreed it. It took a long time, but when Paul was writing to the Romans, he couldn't have foreseen that the church would become the global movement that it is today. Paul had every reason to fear oppression. He was, he was someone who was no, no stranger to, to being chased out of town. At one point, he was stoned almost to the point of death. He had every reason to fear. But the example he sets us is the example of having faith over any fear that is put in front of us. 
Jesus pointed to himself and said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Even when we go through these dark times, even when we go through our struggles, even when we are struck by fear, if we follow Jesus, he will guide us through. But Jesus also didn't just say, I am the light of the world. He turned it around and said, you are the light of the world. That's you and me here today. That's every Christian that's, that's ever professed a faith in Jesus. He says, you are the light of the world. Why? Because we are like the moon in the sky reflecting the light that shines out from the sun. The light that shines out from God himself. We are the ones that reflect that in this world. People look around the world and they see us reflecting the, the love and the glory and the grace of God. That is our charge. That is our duty. That is what Jesus wanted us to do when he sent us out with the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations. Well, how do we do that? Do we, do we take the Bible and beat people with it until they give in? No, we don't. We take the Bible and read it and live the life that it prescribes. And by doing that, people see the light reflecting from us, the glory of God reflecting through us. And then they turn to that light themselves. Just to finish with today, one last reading to round up the series from 1 Peter chapter 2, starting at verse 9. Peter acknowledges that there are people who stumble because they disobey the message. People stumble for all sorts of reasons in life, but he says about the church, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So whether you're enjoying green pastures and still waters, or whether you are stumbling blindly through the darkness of a bleak and seemingly hopeless situation, know this, God has called you. God is leading you. God is with you. And whatever experience you are going through, the day will come when you look back and say, that experience has equipped me to help others, to show love to others who are going through a similar thing. It has made me a stronger person, a better person, a bigger person, and it's made me realise that with God, I can overcome anything. And so it's in him that I put my faith. And so with that in mind, each and every one of us can go ahead with the rest of the journey of life that lies ahead of us, safe in the knowledge that we don't need to fear anything so long as we are walking in the presence of God. We're shortly going to be sharing a time of communion together. So if you haven't got the elements before you now, then please press pause on the video and go and get the bread and the wine ready. But right now to prepare us to share at the communion table together.
I'm going to lead us in prayer. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are a God who has authority over every aspect of our lives, every aspect of your creation. Father, we thank you that there is no challenge that we are going to face in life that you cannot lead us through. Father, we thank you for your power, we thank you for your authority, but we thank you also for your love, the love that shines through every every darkness of the world, the love that has reached out and touched so, so many lives throughout history. Father, we thank you for those letters to the early church and for the relevance that they still hold for us today because your word is, is absolutely relevant to this, this day. Father, as we prepare ourselves to take communion, we acknowledge that we come before you fallen people in a fallen world. And Lord, we know that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us. As a father, we thank you for that this morning. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your son. We thank you for his willingness to die for us. And we thank you, Lord, that through his death on the cross and through the power of his resurrection, we can turn to you. We can talk to you. We can have a relationship with you. And we know that we are assured of salvation with you. So, Father, as we share these elements now, we thank you for what they represent. We pray for your blessing upon them and upon us. We pray that you will forgive us of our sin for all the times that we've, we've failed to live as you would have us live, all the times that we've failed to do what is right by you, all the times we've failed to be the beacons that reflect your shining glory. Father, forgive us. And as we share these elements together, Lord, we pray that we will know your restoring power so that we can go out into the world, face whatever challenges lie before us with faith rather than fear. So bless us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We've heard today about a God in whom we can have absolute faith. A God in whose presence we have nothing to fear and a God who loves us so much that he sent his son into this world to die on the cross, to pay for our sin, to reconcile us to him. When we come before the communion table, we celebrate that fact and we share it together. It is a time when we let go all unforgiveness, when we let go all worries, all fears, and we just dwell in the presence and the grace of God. I hope you've got your elements ready in front of you and that together we can remember that evening, the Passover meal, before Jesus was taken away to be crucified, when he gathered with his disciples and he took the bread and said to them, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then Jesus took the wine and he poured it saying to his disciples, 
This is my blood given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so released from fear and with faith in the one true God, we drink together as a fellowship. Well, thank you for joining us this morning. I hope you, you've enjoyed the service and um, I hope you've enjoyed the series as well.